Y'all happy? Good. If you got your Bible, why don't you go go to uh, Matthew chapter nine? Matthew nine. We're going to talk about taking healing to our our part of the world, wherever we go. I'm going to quote something that uh, we all could just quote, but just go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 9. But uh, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. The ones that believe shall be saved, and the ones that believe not will be damned. He said, But these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they're going to cast out devils. They're going to speak with new tongues. They're going to take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it'll not hurt them. He said, believers will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That's us. Amen. So we're going to uh, stir ourselves up to two purposes of this. One, maybe you need healing in your body. Or maybe you know someone who needs healing. Might as well be a divine healing technician. What do you think? You know, you can be professionals in a lot of things. Might as well be a professional right here. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching. Now, I want to, we're talking about Jesus, but can you see you doing this? Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You know, I listened to a guy one time, I forget who it was, but a number of years ago, he talked about, I, think I might have shared this the other day, he said, uh, he said, I took the scriptures, and for a number of months, he said, I, I looked at them from two, from two different ways. He said, I looked at uh, all the miracles and healings that took place, whether it's through Jesus or one of the disciples. He said, and I, and I allowed myself to be the person who needed the healing. When I read the story, I tried to picture how this happened according to what I, the information the scripture gives. And I did that and put myself in their place. And he says, then, until I got a you know, bigger insight of what happened. He said, after I did that, he said, I went to the other side. Instead of the one that was being ministered to, he said, I went to the other side and I became the minister, the disciple or, the, or Jesus himself. And he says, and boy, they had a whole different, a whole different perspective. In other words, I, I could see me doing this and going out and, you know, what must have been going in their mind, and uh, especially when the scripture gives you a little expounds on the circumstance. And it just became so much realer. And so you can kind of see this. If you did that in verse 35, you went out and you went out to the city, you went out to the villages. What were you doing? Well, you were teaching. You were teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, right? And then what, what did you do after that? Well, you healed every sickness and every disease among the people. That's a good day, right? And when you saw the multitudes, you was moved with compassion on them, that they were fainted and scattered abroad as, as sheep having no shepherd or pastor. Then he said unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. So we're going to look at this from two different ways today, tonight and uh, in our lesson. And I uh, want to go a little bit slow, so if you're taking notes, hope that you, that, uh, you are. That there'll be some things here that you can, uh, you may not have any situations. I hope that you don't personally, but if you do, you might as well just go ahead and get your healing. 
And if not, you might as well go ahead and get the information you need and be the answer. You know, every, every problem is waiting for the answer. And you are a solution to somebody's problem. So, so every problem goes back to just one or two things. I'm talking about believers. Either they, don't, either they don't know the benefits of the covenant, either no one's told them or they haven't found out what belongs to them. Uh, the Bible says, you know, we're to daily load ourselves with the benefits. Well, if you don't know the benefits of the kingdom, then you can't take advantage of them. What would be sad about that is, is to not know and not receive. And if you don't know what belongs to you, you're, you're really on the same level of benefits as the one who doesn't know. And so we need to know what belongs to us. Or number two, not walking in the light of the benefits of the new birth. So we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to hit it a little bit more tonight, and then we're going to talk about it some more. Uh, a lot of people even, and then there's a lot of controversy in what I'm about to say, and uh, uh, I believe the I believe the scripture is real clear. And uh, I know people when they minister to people to the sick, uh, sometimes they'll take you through an interview and take you all the way back to wherever something might have happened in your life. Then they got a kind of like a psychologist, you know, might do and say, well, what happened that day, and how did you feel, and you know, what was the events, and. And sometimes they had to go all the way back to their mother's womb to get this thing fixed. Well, you know, we're, we're ministers of the new covenant and not of the old covenant, true? So we have to, we have to look at everything in the light of the new and, and not the old. So, so a lot is said about generational curses. And um, I don't personally believe, I don't see it in the scripture, I don't believe generational curses apply to us in the, in the new covenant. Now let me say this. You say, well... Well, I know some situations where, the, where that's happened. I didn't say that don't happen. I just said that that's not our covenant. See, anytime, the, the, anytime Satan knows or he sees that we don't know what's ours, he doesn't care whether it belongs in that covenant or not. He's just going to bring it. So unless you stop it, he, he would know it's not in your covenant. He's going to bring it to you, right? It's just like, you know, someone sh ships a bomb to you. And UPS says sign here. You don't have to. <laughs> you know, that's not, it's not legal to have to sign for something just because they say sign here. So, uh, so a lot said about generational curses, and, uh, but I don't believe they apply to us. And if you're born again, truly born again, your generation goes back to Jesus himself. That's where you start, right? You become a new man instantly in Christ Jesus the moment that you were born again. So... When you're ministering to people sometimes, sometimes some people, they might be believers, but they say, well, so-and-so, this happened to them, and this happened to them, and this happened to them. We went to church years ago with, with, uh, with a lady, and uh, her and actually her and my mother worked together. And uh, this lady, she had a, uh, oh, I guess Doris was probably in her mid-40s, and uh, she, she had cancer. And then she had two, she had two daughter-in-laws. One was in her... Uh, well, they were both young to be daughter-in-laws. I mean, one was in the early 20s and one was just, um, and maybe Doris was almost 50. But uh, so anyway, one, one daughter-in-law was in the early 30s and another one was in the mid-20s. And they had to take care of her until the end of her life. And then both of them contracted the same cancer within six months. Totally healthy people. So the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws all died of the same cancer. 
I can tell you, there is demonic spirits involved when you got that going on. And so they said that would be a generational thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. The enemy, when you don't know, he, he's just going to ramshod whatever that he can there. But I'm just saying it's not applicable to our covenant. Uh, and another reason why I say that is because I don't know of anyone who had a better or, or finer healing ministry than Jesus, do you? I mean, I, I don't think you'd want to name anybody if you did. <laughs> but uh, I don't know anyone who had a greater healing ministry or ministered more people. He never dealt with one person. We, we, we have no examples of Jesus ever dealing with a generational curse. Never. So he's our example, right? Now, uh, so I've, I'm in services, and I'm not there to straighten anybody out. But I, I've, I've been in all this, and, and, uh, and I'm not saying people were in health. I'm just saying they, they went back to an incident, and maybe there's, you know, there's a fear or whatever it is. It happened at a certain event. They're trying to take them back to that place and get them delivered. And, and, I, and I've seen this taking them all the way back to before birth to get something straightened out because of the generational line that's coming into there and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying there's not DNA. I'm not saying there's not things that, you know, that, that, you know, that, uh, that can come from parents and grandparents. But we know how to deal with that, too. But there's a lot. When you, if you follow many healing ministries, a number of them will talk about generational curses and how we got to go back. And then we need to ask forgiveness for the father, the grandfather, the great, or, or all the way back to, you know, back to the B.C., and uh, you, to me, to me, always, you need Scripture. And I want to see it more than one time, and I want to see it from Matthew north, not just from Malachi left or south. And so it has to be in there. And, uh, and we'll talk about it more but, uh, than this. But you remember when we talked about uh, Sunday, we was, we was over in... Um, Galatians 3, where, where Paul said that you have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus being made a curse for you. Cursed is everyone that hung on a tree. Jesus, when he was crucified on the tree. And so Jesus absorbed all the curse, didn't he? Which, it, which included sickness, disease, poverty, spiritual death. So he absorbed all that. Well, and, and, we'll, and we'll look at it at another time. But if, if you read over in Luke, I think it's chapter 13... Jesus sees a woman who's uh, bowed over and turns out she's been that way for 18 years. And this woman didn't come to Jesus. They said Jesus saw her and obviously, you know, she probably was somewhat hunched back and said she was, you know, when she walked, she just, you know, her head was down and she couldn't lift herself up. And Jesus saw her and he went to her. In other words, Jesus initiated this healing. She didn't come to him. And, and talked to her, and she had said she had been this way for 18 years. And here's what Jesus said. He said, <clears throat> now this woman right here, he said, this, this ought not be happening. And here's why I said it. He said, she's a daughter of Abraham. See? In other words, this is not her covenant. This, this should not even be happening to her. Well, maybe she didn't know that. See, we talked about two things. Either they don't know what's in the covenant, or else we're not enforcing what we do know. See what I'm saying? Either we don't know, no one's either told us, or, you know, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, or someone's just not enforcing what they do know. And so uh, he said, this should not be happening. Well, he said, she's a daughter of Abraham, but that belongs to us. And so he ministered to her, and he got her healed, and the Bible says she straightened up and glorified God. Well, I guess so. Well, I mean, if you 
you've been looking at the, at, the, at the toe of your shoes for 18 years and counting ants, and you stood up for the first time. You, know, you remember the lady that was here a few months ago, and she was from somewhere north, Claire, or somewhere, older, elderly lady, she come, and we talked to her, and she said, uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have any history. That was the first time I ever met her. She said, but I haven't, she said, well, I guess what y'all didn't understand, she said, I haven't stood up this way in three years. Well, that just took what, about a couple minutes when she was here. Well, this is, this is probably much more severe than that. And he said, uh, Jesus said, this is not even supposed to be happening. Notice he didn't interview her. Notice he didn't go back into her past. He didn't take her back to when all this happened. He didn't ask her if it was an injury. And, you know, and there's, people use different methods and models and all such as that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to discard that. I'm just trying to say, I'm really talking about the generational part. And uh, so when you get in there, you really can't find anywhere in Scripture with Jesus' ministry where he's ever dealing with a generational curse and he ministered to thousands. So it just seems by percentage there'd be some of them if it applied to the New Testament. And you don't see any of them and you don't see Paul ever doing it. And you don't see, you, you find it all in the Old Testament. And if you ever wanted to ever study it out, you can, uh, I think it's chapter uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 2 through 28, it settles the issue. Well, they ask, well, how come this, this young man don't have this? He said, from this time forth, the sins of the father will not come on the children. In other words, it, it will not be passed down. That's uh, Ezekiel yeah, uh, 18, 2 through 28, if you study that out. In other words, if, 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 if the father, if the son's righteous, he gets the righteous benefit. If he's unrighteous under the old covenant, he got the unrighteous. But if you had a good boy and a sorry father, the, the boy don't have to pay because of daddy. I like that, don't you? Or granddaddy or whoever. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, there, there's a lot of folks. And if you, if you go to a country uh, like, uh, I don't know, um, many of them, uh, pagan countries, or if you go to a place where there's hundreds of God, if, if you go to India, where they'll gladly receive your God along with all the hundreds of others that they have, uh, everyone there is under a generational curse. Because every one, every one of them and everyone in their past is guilty of stuff for serving pagan gods. So you would never get anyone healed if it was... I mean, could you imagine having a campaign where you're ministering to 25 or 50,000 people and if you thought, I can't really bring healing because they're all under these curses? You, you're talking about needing a team to set some people down and have to go one by one. You'd never get through. So we don't, we, we don't ever see that. Matter of fact, when T.L. Osborne would go over there, he said the way I would start my ministry office is, or start a campaign off, he said, uh, especially where there was a lot of Buddhist temples, he said we would set up in front of Buddhist temples on purpose. And he says, and the way I would start it would not be preach and have them come, he said, because they don't believe. What I'd start off was the miracle, and I'd, I'd take the excuse away, and then they'd come run after, the God, after our God. So he said, I, I would get as close to the Buddhist temple as they would allow me to get he says, and then I would find the hardest cases, he said, which was generally all the deaf and the blind people. And he said, if there's anyone deaf or blind, someone bring them up here. And he says, that if we don't get a miracle, he says, y'all just send me right out of town right now. And he never dealt with no generational curse at all. See, God's a lot better than what we think he is. He is a good God. Amen. So he's trying to get healing to people. He's, he's not needing us to judge them. He's needing us to free them. Can you see that? 
So I, I, I'm not the police of this to arrest people who do this, but I, I'm just saying I don't think they have a New Testament leg to stand on. And, and maybe I'm more because of a word kind of minister, which I think everyone ought to be, who ministers ought to be, <laughs> they ought to have word, you know. Uh, I, I know an attorney thinks this way. Because you know he he's got to present a case and he'll just say, you know, your honor court did you know back in nineteen whatever you know so and so case to set a president for it and he and he he understands this very well, and uh, that's that's what we're doing here. So our job is to help them forget the past. The Bible says tell us to move forward, doesn't it? And uh, not to, uh, you know, he he told us that we're to set the captive free, not not point out their faults, but set them free. We're not their judges. We're supposed to be their deliverers. And, uh, and then, you know, and then if you just thought about it a little bit, you thought about, well, I mean, a, a, a curse could stop someone. Well, I, you could forget everything I just said, and I'll just shoot it down with one thing. How did you get saved? You, you heard the gospel, right? You believed it in your heart, said it with your mouth, and you become born again. And we were all spiritually dead. You can't get any deader than that. When you're spiritually dead, you can't get any more cursed than spiritually dead. And with one scripture, John 3, 16, the devil lost all of his power. One scripture. Believed and acted upon, the devil lost any hold he ever had on anyone that was, that was lost. And uh, did any of y'all get interviewed to get saved? Because some of us, you know, we had a past and the interview would have taken a long time. <laughs> Not anyone here, but, you know, we, we know people. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? So, but one scripture does it, doesn't it? Through the new birth. So now that you, now that we're saved, sometimes people say, "Well, you know, to get healed ourselves, or to get someone healed, you know, we got to just get, we just got to know everything. It's got to be said just right. And if you don't say it just right, God won't accept it, and He won't release power and all that. And we got to have perfect theology on everything, and our doctrine has to line up perfectly with God's. And we, and." And if we don't have that, we just can't get anywhere. Well, really. Because, you know, it doesn't take that much power to deal with one little devil. Or one little imp who's bringing a spirit of infirmity. You know, there's not many people who have perfect theology. I mean, you and I do, we know that. But I mean, but out there, you know. No, I'm just saying, just kidding. But I'm just saying, no one has perfect theology. Except Jesus. Right? The Holy Ghost has perfect theology. And so uh, <clears throat> to deal with a sickness or disease, and so if one scripture could, could take care of the enemy, then it's not a problem. And then people say, well, you know, God won't heal you because uh, until you get your life right. This is real prevalent. Um, let's say it this way. You ever invite someone to church, and this, a lot of times it's really just an excuse that, that they use for not coming. Oh, I, I couldn't come. The roof, wouldn't, the roof wouldn't stay up. You ever heard that? It, it'll stay up. Every 20, 25 feet, there's one of them steel beams that holds thousands of pounds. And believe me, what you've done, what you're doing, ain't going to bring it down. Right? And I know most people, that's an excuse, but a lot of times, because they're living in condemnation, they don't want to come if you just think how ridiculous that is, they don't want to come until they get their life cleaned up before they come to Jesus. That'd be like my car's all messed up, but I just, you know, I just can't bring it to Brother Bill until I get it fixed. 
Isn't that saying the same thing? You know, I just don't want to see how bad my, I've let my car get. So if I can get it fixed, I'll take it to him. Hmm? What if you did that with your doctor or your dentist? I mean, I wish I could avoid the dentist, and I have for a long time. And that's probably the problem. But, but you know, the thing is, it, it, I just need to get this thing in a better order, right? Cleaned up, working before I go. And so a lot of times we, you know, and, and I've been services, and you have too, that, you know, God doesn't heal people unless, unless they're his. Well, that's not scriptural. Jesus healed people all the time. Didn't he? He healed people all the time that wasn't saved because there wasn't none of them saved then. Huh? A lot of times the scripture gets used, uh, what is it, Luke? I, I don't remember where it's at, but, and there's nothing wrong with this. It, it, uh, some scriptures have double reference to it. And uh, one of the scriptures says, uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And people who have a, a ministry about, you know, saving the lost, they use that one a whole lot. Really, that ain't what it's talking about at all. But it's okay to use it for that. He does want the lost saved, right? Well, he said Jesus went about looking to seek and save the lost. Well, <clears throat> who was he having to sift through? They wasn't nobody born again. They's all lost. You ain't got to seek for them. Just if you, if you find one person, they're all lost. He's talking about the kingdom of God and what happened in the Garden of Eden where, where spiritual death came upon all mankind, and he came to restore that which was lost. He wasn't looking, is anyone here lost? Anyone here not know Jesus? They, none, of them knew, none of them knew him. None of them was born again. So we have a double reference there. And, uh, and we can use it that way. Nothing wrong with using it the other way. But, uh, so we talk about, well, if you get your life right, well, that's not true because healing or salvation or anything that we receive from God is never based on our goodness. It's based on His goodness. His goodness. We don't receive from God anything based on our goodness. And uh, <clears throat> no one can rely on their goodness to receive anything that we receive from God by His grace. Jesus said it this way. Don't, you don't have to turn there, but if, you, if you're making notes, Matthew 10, 8, he said, he said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you received, freely get. This is, this is not what He said. Pray for people if they're sick. He just said heal them. Right? Heal sick, raise dead, cast out devils. He said, you receive from me freely. Now you go give freely what you receive from me. So in other words, that's what he's saying. He said, I've given you my power freely. He says, now go give it away freely. Find someone who has need, that, the same need that you have, and give them freely what I gave you freely. I believe you'd say it this way. Heal anyone, anytime, anywhere, any, no matter what the situation is, of, of anything. But a lot of times we talk about people pray and then the prayer comes to a place of, uh, of asking God or people are, are begging God for healing or getting enough people to pray once again to petition God to do something. No, he said, you go heal the sick. You go heal the sick. In other words, can I say it this way? I, I think we know this, but sometimes maybe it just helps to hear it a different way. Uh, when you get people healed, it's helping God. Sometimes when we're ministering to sick people, we're, we're trying to get God to help us. 
they're God's people. He's the one that wants them healed. That's why, he's, that's why He sent you. When you go minister to lay hands on sick people, you're doing that for Him. Huh? And if we don't even think about it that way, we're trying to get God to help us. We're doing it for Him. Hmm? If you're the one who's healthy, you don't need healing anyway, do you? And so this is what you're called and commissioned to do. So really, God's come to help us do what he, He's asking us to come to His people because He loves people and He wants them well. So He's asking us to go to them. And so instead of us trying to get Him to help us, you're going to help Him. Hmm? Y'all with me? These are all real simple things, but it just it sometimes it just really helps a lot because you, you, you look at a situation and if it looks a little bit big, we're like, boy, I just need God to help me. No. No, he, He's already helped us. In other words, we're, we're doing this for Him. Right? When, when you're preaching the message of salvation to, to the lost, it's to get them saved, right? Aren't y'all saved? Y'all already going to heaven, right? I mean, you, I mean you're, you're not hanging over the heaven hell thing, are you? No, so I mean, so it, we don't we don't need it. To, I mean, they're the ones who need it if they're if they're lost. Yeah. And these are God's people, right? So He He has set it up that we would preach the gospel, not angels. So He's needed us to go preach to help His people. Amen. Instead of oh God, I mean, uh, it, did you hear that? It was cancer. Come, hurry. I mean, I got three more to pray for. Then I'm gonna be down there where she's at. No, it's. Well, I, I don't have the cancer. I don't need it. She's God's child. He, he needs her help. That's why he's sending you. Right? I, I'm doing this for, for you and to help her. It's just how you think of it a little bit. So people say, well, you know, so we've got to get their life right. or And, uh, well... Uh, no one's life's always right. But in Jesus we are. We're righteous in Him. Right? No one's right all the time. <clears throat> so He said, what I give you, I want you to give away, heal anyone, anytime, anywhere, of anything. And don't wait on permission to go get your job done. He said, this is your job, go do it. Uh, how many of y'all going to work in the morning? Are you going to call your boss and ask him, is, uh, is it okay to come in? You gonna work tomorrow? But if you were gonna go to work tomorrow, do you call ahead of time? Say, do you, is it okay to come in? They kind of expect it, don't they? It would be they would. If you did that, what would they think? You're not dependable. Or you're asking me, should I come to work? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, is it okay to drive that way and come to work today? We just don't do it for a day or two to see, see if they don't need, they may not need you anymore, right? So we, we, instead of waiting for permission, why don't we just do what we were commanded to do in the Great Commission, not suggestion? Hmm? These are little things, but I'm telling you when, you, when you get ready to pray for someone, if it's a big thing to you, you'll start addressing your prayer to God instead of talking to the, the situation. Or you'll start praying them and you'll, you'll have a prayer and you'll be preaching in your prayer because you're trying to build your faith up. 
now, Lord, you're, when your word said this, and you said that, and you said this word, and you said that. Well, just stop that already, would you? And just tell that sickness what to do. Right? I mean, that'd be like a policeman, you know, you're speeding. He says, oh, oh, police chief, wherever you are, you know, the manual said, uh, E dash, so and so and so, that we have this ordinance and all. He, does he start quoting the book, the manual? No, he said you was driving 75 in a, in a 55. Right? And he commences to write your warning or ticket. That, I don't know if that's really a word commenced, but you know what I'm talking about. He didn't start quoting the manual, does he? No, he, he, you, if we transgress, he just starts writing the ticket. Little things, but they're important. Uh, generation curses. We didn't talk about that. Uh, only thing I want to say else about that is, is, is if Jesus is our example in the years of how he ministered, he said, the works that I do shall you do also. So we would have to go see his works and what he did. And he told us what we would do and he told us how we would do it. So if we're his representatives, and we are, right? We're his representatives. Then we should minister how he ministered. So I'll say, well, he was Jesus. What, what's your point? He, Jesus ministered by the word, and the Bible says he had to be anointed because he left all the heaven stuff in heaven and came here as a man. And then he had to be anointed to do what he was doing, right? And so uh, we, ha we need to do what he did and how he did it. So if he did not deal with generational curses and we start doing that, then we're misrepresenting the, the type that sent us out to go do it in the first place. And, I, and we're not supposed to misrepresent him, we're supposed to represent him. Amen. You probably heard of John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church, which was a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, wild man. In one of his uh, publications years ago, he talks about 247 accounts of healing that he wrote about. And he said, um, he said it's not the sick person's responsibility to have faith. Now, I said that sometimes we get in there and say, well, um, you just, uh, I don't sense that you have enough faith to be healed. Or, you know, go back and do some studying or praying or meditating and come back and we'll minister to you. And in, in other words, increase your faith and come back. Well, I think we said this Sunday, if they increase their faith, they probably don't need to come back to see you. I mean, if they're okay in faith, they're not come to see you. Because they're, they're fixed now, right? So we're saying, you know, like taking the, our car or our dentist, go, go fix your car and bring it back. Well, I don't need to bring it back. Now it's fixed. Huh? Well, Jesus never did that. See, that's not in his ministry. So John Wesley said, uh, he said, it's not the sick person's responsibility to have faith. They weren't given the command to heal the sick. You ever thought about that? Jesus never commanded a lost person to go heal the sick. He said the command was given to you and I. He said, and it, it's a command. He didn't say heal them if they have faith. He said heal them. Heal the sick. Now, I, I'm going to say this, and then we're going to make a big deal out of this at another time. Heal the sick because it's an act of war. Healing is an act of war. 
And if you learn to treat all sickness the same, which most people don't, 99.9% of Christians don't treat all sickness the same, and that's why they get themselves in trouble. Because if it's a little thing, we'll swallow a pill. Get rid of the headache or the, you know, my leg hurts, my back hurts, you know, I picked up something, whatever. And not every sickness is devil-inflicted and all such as that. Sometimes you could just, you know, you, you live in a fallen world. So we're not saying everything is demonic influence, but you treat all sickness the same. You should, you should always treat a headache the way that you would treat leukemia or AIDS. Because it all follows under the head of one, one fellow, and his name's Lucifer. And if you learn to attack on the front end, then you won't be fighting a big war on the little end. In other words, how big a snake would you be willing to let come into your house before you'd find you a hole or a stick or a brick or whatever? You say, well, it, just, it was just a baby rattler. Hmm. Well, then maybe just give it a baby aspirin. How many of you had a rattler come in your house that was this long? You're going to do something about it to kill it, right? I wonder if it was this long. Pay it. Do what? Cut his head. But it's not built somewhere that long. It's gone out. See, we don't, we, 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 we don't do that when we don't feel well. It's an act of war. Your body's to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. Anything going wrong with your body right now? Believe me, let me tell you where it's coming from. And you have to deal with it. And sometimes you'll have to be very aggressive and hold firm. Let me see if I can give you this. Because sometimes you can know something and let it slip. I'm, I'm, my doctor would tell me, he won't tell me this, he just tells me medical stuff. But, but I, I need a creative miracle. I do. For a disc right in the back. Because they don't have them at Walmart. <laughs> I call, they don't have any disc. <clears throat> and I really don't want to go and have an erector set put in my back. So if, if you're not careful, what you start doing is you start focusing on the thing. Like you could say, I don't, my, I, I don't have uh, some part of your body's not working the way it should, or it's not working, or your pancreas is not working, or you could have a heart valve not working, or you could have, I mean, just a lot of things, right? And it's not working. Or you could need a creative miracle, like what I'm talking about. And you start saying, you know, you start believing God for so-and-so, in an area that you never believed God to create, something to be created that was never created, and you're like, man, this is big. But that's not what you're doing. Now listen to me really close. That's not what you're doing. <clears throat> I failed for this for a little while, and I realized, no, whoa, what, what am I doing? This is wrong. It's, you know, the Bible says in Mark 11, what, 24? He says, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. Well, you, you're, deserve, you're desiring healing, but you, got, you need to be specific, and that's a whole other lesson right there. But you need to be very specific with what you're saying as much as you can be. 
He says, so therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He said, well, so you, 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 you need a new kidney or you need a new whatever. No, you don't need the kidney. Even though you need the kidney. Because you, don't, you can't receive the kidney without faith. And Hebrews 11 says this. It says, and Amplified says, he says, now faith is the substance. It's the, he says, faith is the title deed. Faith is the title deed to that which you are hoped for that you have need of. So you don't have need of the kidney. You have need of the faith, which is the title deed that says you have the kidney. Maybe it's easy for you to believe that you have faith and then you have a kidney. Because you see, <laughs> faith is what brings the kidney. Isn't that what Hebrews 11 1 says? Now faith is the evidence, it is the assurance, it is the hope, it is the title deed that that what you have asked for, that you have by faith. So what's the evidence? What is the evidence of faith? What is the title deed? The title deed to a car is the evidence that the car belongs to you. The title deed of faith is the evidence that that what you prayed for you have. Then after you received it by faith, what do you do? And this is the hardest part of healing always. You want to know the hardest part? We'll just go ahead and knock that out. Here's the hardest part of receiving your healing. Always. 100% of the time. Rest. Putting yourself at rest. Now rest doesn't mean you're not doing anything, but you're not striving towards it. In other words, you come to a place where you've received something. Ephesians 1, 3 said, He has already blessed you with every spiritual heaven blessing in Christ Jesus. So Jesus gave you the, or God gave you the creative ability through faith and belief in what the Word of God to speak into existence. Heaven doesn't do, He already transferred that authority to you through the power of words and belief to speak and receive and declare something that it be, and then you come to a place of absolute rest. And then you bring your conversation around with your belief to say, this is what I have received. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence, the assurance. It is the title deed. So I may not see your car, but if you have the deed to the car, you can have proof positive that that so-and-so, whatever car, I owned it, right? And Will that stand up in a court of law? In God's court of law, so to speak, faith, the title deed, if that what you believe for, it's yours. Maybe you could take your thought process off an eardrum and says, no, faith is, faith is the evidence of the eardrum. So you're trying to, well, you know, especially if you have something that, that, that you can feel. Some people have situations in their body that they found extra, but they don't feel nothing. Other people have situations in their body they feel. I can find mine if I want to. I don't feel nothing right now. But I ain't got to do much to, to, to feel it. See what I'm saying? And then, then that war against your mind says, oh, uh, can't, uh, uh, you know, all that. And then that'll try to destroy your faith. Faith is the assurance, the evidence. It is the title deed to that which I believe by faith in the Word of God that it's mine, and then I rest in that. Is that as plain as mud? <clears throat> now I want to say this again I've been saying it two or three weeks but I just want to bring it back up again
The problem is most Christians, most Christians, and a lot of times we give these percentages, 99%, but we don't, we don't know that. We don't even know 9% Christians. But I'm going to say many. I'll say many. And I believe this is correct. Many Christians are operating under an old covenant mindset as opposed to a new covenant mindset. Old covenant instead of new covenant. God did not sow his son Jesus, a son, to reap a servant. He sowed a son to reap. Sons, plural. God did not sow his son Jesus to reap a servant. It's good to have a servant's heart, but you're not a servant. You're a son and daughter of God. You're kings of kings, not servants of servants. <clears throat> but the church has a servant mentality to be a servant. And servants function best if they're told what to do, when to do, how to do, and do this at this time. But a lot of times they don't do anything beyond what you tell them because that's how employees think. In the parable of the talents, really teaches that. You know, the one talent, the two talent, and the five talent man. The one talent man, he says, be here at eight in the morning. He's eight, but he ain't done nothing. He's waiting for you to tell him something. Then he just goes, does that, and then he don't do nothing until you tell him something else. A two talent man, you can leave him around. He can get some things done. A five talent man, he says, take off two weeks, I got it. And Jesus says, take the way from the one talent man and give to the guy with the most and give this other guy some. There was some profit in all of them, but Jesus was not impressed with the one talent man. He said, give it to the guy who doesn't think like a, a servant, but thinks, you know, like the owner. Hmm? And you work with people like that, you know what I'm talking about. Or you hire people, and, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, and so, you know, if you have one of those kind of situations where you can't leave a job, if you employ people, Either you don't trust them or, or they slack off and as soon as they see the car or truck coming, they pick back up again. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Well, you're not, you, you're not going to take off three or four days with that person. You won't have a company left, right? And, uh, you know, five-talent person, they do everything that you ask to do and they, and they start looking around and say, oh, there's a piece of trash here, I need to get that up. Was, but no one told them to do it. See, they, they see it. They know it. They said, you know, it needs to be done. I can do that. Let's just go do that. One talent guy said, well, I ain't paid to do that and that. And they wonder why they never get a promotion. Hmm? They have a you owe me something. Or like the scripture says, oh, you do, you, you're a hard man. That's what he said the one talent man. I know you hard and you want to reap for you ain't so and all that. I just took and hid your money. And Jesus said, yeah, I just hid your job somewhere else. It's gone. Amen. So he doesn't want us to be a servant. We can have a servant's heart, a servant attitude, but our mentality is that we're sons. So we're commissioned to go. See, and, and, and uh, well, all these things are lessons, and, I, and I'm just kind of hitting headlines tonight. So there was one time that Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 to go sit. Go wait on the promise of the Father, which is receiving the Holy Ghost. Remember that in Acts chapter 1? After, the, after the, the promise of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost showed up in Acts 2, he never told nobody to sit and wait no more. He said, go. 
He's never stopped going after the Holy Ghost was here. But we have the church still sitting and waiting whether it's okay to go here or go there or do this or not do that, and we're supposed to be going and not sitting. See, a, a servant mentality is never going to do that. I, I learned this in ministry because I never saw it in ministry before because I never had been in ministry. And so I would never preach anything. I'd, I'd wait forever because I was waiting for the Holy God. It has to be just the right sermon. It has to be, I mean, I got to have 100%. I mean, I need, I, need a, I need a Holy Ghost written all the way beginning to end sermon straight out of heaven. Every service forever. And I'm just sitting here doing nothing until I get those details. But he already told me what to go do. So sometimes what I'll do is, if, I'm, if it's something that is going to change the order of things, sometimes I'll pray it the other way. So instead of God saying, is it okay to go do that? I'll pray it the other way. And I'll say, Lord, unless it's not okay, I'm about to go do that. If you don't want me to go to Quebec, you need to let me know. If there's danger over there, or I don't need to go because uh, people need help and I, it just seems good to me. And unless you say no, in other words, I'm going to pretend like the, green's, the light's green unless he tells me it's red. And a bunch of Christians just sitting around saying it's all red, they're waiting on green. And if I just look at the majority of them, their light never changes. Because that, that is a servant mentality. Is this making any sense to y'all? I mean, it's, it's not really deep stuff. It's just, people say, you know, I just want to be led. Well, you are. You're, you're continually led all the time. But see, he, he already told us to go, didn't he? Heal the sick, raise the dead. Well, so, so when did that ever change? It never has changed. So we should just continually be doing that, right? Amen. So he told us to go. And, uh, and that's what we did. Romans chapter 10, if you will. Romans chapter 10. We got just a minute here. So we covered this stuff about, you know, well, you know, we can't, you know, get them healed because they, you know, they clean their life up or they have, don't have enough faith or they do have a faith or how much faith does it take to get healed of, a, of the cold and how much does it take, you know, if I got bronchitis and, you know, if I got acute pneumonia, how much faith does it take to do that and, you know, how much is, you know, where does the scales tip, you know, does they have enough faith? G Jesus never did that. He never taught that. You've heard me talk about it. You might have heard him say it. Ryan Hartbunke, when he ministers, he said, in America, he said, America is the only place they preach what I'm about to say. He said, Ryan Hartbunke, you know, goes across the country. He's been in Africa for years. Now he's back in the United States. He said, it's time for America to be saved. <laughs> he's right. And so <laughs> he says, but America is the only place that preaches what I'm about to say. Well, small faith, little faith, great faith, big faith, medium-sized faith. He said, nowhere else in the world do they preach that but in America. Nowhere. So we, we try to measure someone's faith and say, well, they have. But Jesus said, but if, you know, just having faith as a grain of mustard seed can do this. 
In other words, he wasn't talking about the size of the faith. He was talking about doing something with the faith. Right? In other words, you say, well, I can't start tithing until I make $500 a week because I can't start tithing when I make 300 Well, you're not going to tithe at 5 if you don't tithe at 3 because the percentage is still the same. And like we said Sunday, the Word of God's already settled on this, you're right. And does the Word ever change? So if you don't open your Bible for 30 years and you open it up, you know what? It's going to say what it did 30 years before that. It ain't never going to be no different. The Word is, Psalms 89 says, forever the Word's settled in, on, in heaven. So we have to settle it here on earth because it's going to stay the same 200 years from now for here. Amen. So uh, how much faith does it take to get healed? Well, how much faith did Lazarus have? <laughs> He's kind of taking off, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, how much, did, how much did he add in, throw into the, you know, the, what do you call it? The, what do you call it, any up or what do you call it? Huh? Yeah, I mean, he, 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 didn't, he didn't chip in nothing, did he? <laughs> Boy, was good and dead. So much that his kinfolk says, not only is he dead, he stinks. He didn't throw nothing in the pot, did he? I just, I've had a chance to think about different ones through the years, different places. I don't know why my experiences are different away from here than they are from here, I guess because they don't know me and I don't know them. And that helps sometimes because you don't factor in what you do know. That does help a lot because you're like, we're on this. And you, sometimes you know too much. And sometimes when you just don't know what you don't know, it just, it, it can be a blessing to them and you. Because all you do is you just follow the Holy Ghost. And um, I've had a lot of people through the years when I was out ministering to other places. And I, and I appreciated their honesty. You know, and, you know, it's, I just don't really, be honest with you, I just don't have faith to be healed. I want to be healed. I know God can heal. Uh, but I just don't believe it's going to happen. I don't, and I said, so you're not against the healing. You're not against healing. No, Lord, no. But you just don't believe it, nothing's going to happen. They said, yeah. That's, that's just being honest with you. I'm just telling you on the front end. They said, so what do you think? I said, I don't care. I don't care if you have any faith in my own. That, that don't mean nothing to me. I think it's good to have faith. But I don't think it stops nothing. Now, if, if they get their foot on the brake and they absolutely resist it, they can have that. You can have what you believe. You can have what you say. So if you say, ain't no way, no how, I ain't receiving this, just get out of my face. I will. I'll give you a good leaving alone. But if they're just neutral, you know, if a car won't crank, but if you can put it neutral, you might can push it. Right? I mean, growing up as a kid, there's a lot of time I pushed cars when I had a you know, stick or on the column because the battery was dead. But if I get enough incline, y'all know what I'm talking about, we'd go down here and lay on the clutch and here we go. We'll get the house deal with that later, right? So that's what you can do with people sometimes. Who, uh, sometimes they just don't know because no one's taught them or what they've taught them is wrong. And, and the Lord wants them healed. He's not trying to come down through perfect faith. He, he just needs to come through someone. Right? In other words, if once again, if, if uh, the, the biggest miracle that there is, 
is not healing of cancer or age or anything like that. That, that is not the big, the biggest miracle that you will ever see anywhere is uh, someone being born again from spiritual death to spiritual life and the blood applied and they become, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you transferred someone out of a kingdom into another kingdom. That's the biggest miracle. It, and it has the biggest opposition from Satan is to get them from lost to saved. Spiritually dead to spiritual life. And if you've ever been a part of that, that is the biggest miracle that will ever take place. Everything else comes par under that. And, it, and you did it with one verse. Just one verse. The Bible says so and so. Do you believe that? Yes. Say this. If you believe this in your heart, let's pray. Okay? Boom. Born again, just like that. Satan lost one. Names ripped out of the kingdom of darkness. Placed right over into the kingdom of light. How about that? So Romans 10, we got about five minutes. Romans 10, verse 6 through 8. Actually, I'm going to read four, which has nothing to do with it. It has to do with where I was trying to go Sunday. I didn't have time. I'm just doing it because I want to. Verse Romans 10, 4. Christ is, the, Christ is the end of the law for righteous people. Christ ended the law if you're righteous. Because you still got some folks out there, no, you're supposed to still walk that law out. What you going to do with that? <laughs> I mean, the first two, three verses you need to read before then because Israel was trying to be, they said they were going about to establish their own righteousness. In other words, they, what God was offering said, so that ain't good enough, so we're going to go and establish our own righteousness. They had a lot of zeal, but he says, but they were ignorant of God's way of righteousness. So they wouldn't try to establish their own. And they said, Christ is the end of righteousness. Now, verse 6. But here's what the righteous do. The righteous speak, but the righteous, which is the faith, speaks on this wise. The righteous do not say in their heart, who can go into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. We're about to have pray for some folks. Hmm? We got some terminal ill people right here. We're going to pray for them in about a few minutes. Who, who can run up to heaven real quick and bring Jesus down? I mean, we, we, can, we need some help. Hmm? The righteous, he says, do not speak that way. They don't say in their heart, who, who can ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. And, here's, and, and he says, verse 7, or, the, or they don't say it this way, who can go down into the deep? That is to bring him up Christ again from the dead because he's what? He's not there. He's not dead. Well, what do right, righteous people do? Verse 8, here they, here's what they do. Here's what they say. The word is nigh thee. Now, you know that word nigh means near, right? That's real deep, right? The word's nigh thee. Now, what is the word? Isn't the word your answer? Could we read it this way? Your answer is near you. How near is it? It's in your mouth and in your heart. Where is that kidney? In your mouth and in your heart. Hmm? See, because faith is the title deed. It, your faith is the assurance that what you have, you have need of, you got it. Not because you felt something like, oh yeah, that's gone, or oh, I felt something come in, or go out, or whatever. No, that's, that's good if you feel that. But that's not, but see, but that's not a scripture. 
He didn't say, I'll give you better feelings. We like better feelings, especially if we're not feeling well. But he said his word healed you, not better feelings healed you. Brother Hagin had talked about a guy for many years who fell off, construction worker fell off, I forgot how many stories, shattered his arm in, under, under x-ray. It, they said it's, it's in thousands of pieces. That arm is just completely mutilated. Might as well just take it off. He wouldn't let him take it off. And he said, Brother Hagin, the word says this, word says this, word says this, word says this, word says this. That's right, that's right, that's right. He said, you pray, I'm going to agree with you, and God's going to give me a new arm. He said, well, let's do it. So he did and God did. Except, something. If you, under x-ray, he said, as long as this man was alive, if you, he went back every year just for the fun of it. If you go look at it under x-ray, it's still in thousands of pieces. But he's still taking shingles and throwing them like this and going up the ladder. So I said, I don't understand that. Join the rest of us. That is a sign and a wonder, right? It's, it's a sign. And we wonder how in the world he did that. That's good advertisement, isn't it? So he said, uh, Brother Hagin would tell a story. And he said, and he said, I still have contact with him. He said, he always sends me a copy of the x-ray every year. And he'll say, just want to let you know, give you an update upon the arm. He said, he said, totally working well in thousands of pieces. <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the doctor going to say about that? Uh, <laughs> you're the conduit of heaven. You are the conduit of heaven. Heaven's flowing through you. He said, bring heaven to earth, didn't he? So he said, we can't go to heaven to bring him up, and we can't go down to the deep to bring him up. He said, but what saith that the word is nigh you? It's even in your heart, and it's in your mouth. That is the word of faith that you preach. Now, I want you to leave here remembering this. I said it, I didn't make a big deal of it, but I want you to get this, and we'll pick up on it. Healing is an act of war. Don't let anything slip. Treat it the same. Well, you could say it like this. Uh, we can let some of them little terrorists through, just not, just not the, the, you know, the ones, that, the big ones we know about, but maybe some of them entry-level terrorists, we can go ahead and let them enter our, our city or our neighborhood. See, none of y'all was going to let a rattlesnake, not even pet size, it's poisonous, right? So the author of it is the same no matter if you can do it with an aspirin. If you learn to quit swallowing pills on little stuff, then you won't put your dependency on them one day when you need something big and can't get it because you never developed your faith Amen. to this place. So... How Charles Capps used to say it, he says, he says some people when they, they hear two messages on faith and they want to go out there and they want to start at this level, he said they want to start build, they want to start, <laughs> he said they want to build a three-story building, they want to start with a third story on a vacant lot that they don't own yet. They don't own a lot, but they want to start on the third story. Well, no one likes building 
from the place of, if you're a homeowner, we want to see the decorative part. We don't care about driving them stakes and that string and stuff and footings and all that. That ain't no fun. We want to see some sheetrock and some color. We want to see some countertops and some sheetrock and stuff, right? All that running around popping strings and all that kind of stuff. That's like, come on, let's, let, let me get to the real stuff. Well, that's the real stuff, isn't it, Scott? I mean, that's, you don't get that, you, you little countertops. <laughs> It'd be like the three little pigs. He'll huff and he'll puff, and it won't take much of a wind all over to come right on down. So Charles Capp said most people want to start, they don't even have a lot, they want to start on the third story. And they hadn't even put the footings for the first door. So we just, you, you, you start here, but, but you treat all of it like an act of war. Why? But, and here's why. Because Jesus said concerning sickness, he came to destroy the works of the devil. That was an act of war. He didn't come to pet it, to turn his head the other way, said that ain't that big a deal. Everything was an act of war to Jesus. And he said, I've come to destroy this stuff. And you're going to do the work that I did. We'll stop there. Is this all right? We're going to take it to our generation. Workplace, home, everywhere. Now, we don't need three years worth of teaching to go get started. Mostly what Jesus would do, he said, come on to class, then go take that what you know, and then come back, we'll teach a little bit more, and go give that out somewhere, and then come right there. Uh, Dennis, I, I, I was thinking, you know, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot real quick, and I can't remember all the details, and you may not want to tell this, and if you don't, just say pass, okay? Um, you remember you was telling me about someone that uh, been several months now, that this couple was kind of having some domestic issues, and you came over to the car, and she was needing some help from her husband or boyfriend or whoever he was. And, uh, and how'd that go and how'd that work out? <laughs> or, or, or what did they tell you they wanted and needed and, and then where did that go? You don't know these people, right? No, I don't. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Look, go ahead. <laughs> Fear change. Oh, okay. So were they were they uh, back and forth, hollering, screaming at each other. Now you weren't threatening him, was you? No, I didn't him at all. You just outright just taking authority over this, diffusing it. And it was went from that to hollering, screaming to yes, sir. 
and I have been, actually, I, that very morning, I have been meditating on the Bible. And did you say like something like, now, Father, now your word says, <laughs> did, did you do that, or did you just go to, all right. See, just, in other words, if, if you would treat it like your, your vocation, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go address the situation like, you know, when I was in nursing school and, and you know, I mean, if you had to give them a shot, would you do that? No, I mean, you wouldn't do that. So, so, so why do Christians do that? See, they don't really have, they don't, they're not, they're coming, they're not coming out of either knowledge or they're not coming out of confidence and they're trying to work it up to the place of, oh, God. well, you know, he really doesn't need to know what his word says because he wrote it. <laughs> and he doesn't need a Bible lesson or he doesn't need his faith increased. See what I'm saying? He just needs someone to come down through it. We always say it this way. The battery's dead. The person is sick or whatever. You're the jumper cables. You're the conduit. You put the jumper cables on the dead spot and then the con the, you're the conduit and the power flow through you. So what's, what's most important? The, uh, the electricity, like if you're going to jump a car off one to another, okay? What's, what's the most important, or is there one more important? The good battery bill or the jumper cables? Or is there a difference? You've got to have them both. But this is a good battery, and it can jump the other one off, right? It, let's just say it's top-of-line battery but you don't have jumper cables. Is there a way to, can you just, in your heart, mean for it to do that? Can you stretch your hand out and just, don't you have to connect them somehow? I, I'm going to go into your story. <laughs> well, yeah, Scott had a little situation with his truck yesterday in my yard and so he cleaned his terminals off and it did crank, right? But he had some other situations too. So you, you can have some stuff in your thinking or in, in, your, in your life and you got power there, but it can't grab hold and, and put the current through. But it doesn't matter how good the battery is to a weak battery if nothing's connected to it. So we don't, we, we get things about, do I have enough power? Do I have enough faith? Do I, do, do I know enough? Uh, if jumper cables could think, I don't think they think that. I think. I don't have no power, but go ahead and use me. You know, like a water hose, you connect it to the house, to the hydrant, to where you're going to spray it. And the water hose is not the water. It just carries it, right? So why do we get ourselves all worked up? Do we have all this? Are we ready? Can we do all this? You're not, you, you're not the power anyway. We get ourselves all worked up over what? Well, I don't know if I, you know, I never saw this. I mean, a water hose could say, I never watered a giraffe. Well, probably hasn't. But if he, one comes, he's thirsty, I guess I can I'll get you wet somewhere. <laughs> Whether they ever did it or not. Why? Because it's a water hose. Does that help anybody? That's a weird thing just to think out of nowhere and just water the drown. Probably ate some mushrooms today or something. Or I need to, especially if they're on pizza. Oh, come on. Well, what are we going to do now? Oh, offering. Y'all want to give? You don't want to? Okay. Hallelujah. 
We don't have to give. We just made out in the woods. It don't matter. We don't need a building. <laughs> El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Praise God. Yeah, that's so. Uh, that's a good thing, Dennis. Praise the Lord. You know, you wouldn't want to just grab someone out of the car that you don't know because his wife tells him to. <laughs> just any time, you need to you need to make some decisions there because <laughs> he might grab back. <laughs> Well, you, 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 you take time to meditate. And see, he says, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. Romans 10, 6 through 8. And then you just, whether it's your body or it could be a leg or any organ in your body, and you begin to, you begin to give it a command. So not, not so much praying, that's what I'm, I want to get to, not so much praying, but a command. Pretend like it's your child and they're not doing what you tell them to do. Do you pray to them? Yeah. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, Johnny, would, would you go make your bed in Jesus' name? My mother never did that. So when you're, when you're ministering to the sick, it's not so much prayer. E.W. E. E. Kenyon, he's, uh, well, not E.W. Kenyon, he probably did too. Uh, Smith Wilson for sure said this. He said, you should never pray about anything that says, thus saith the Lord. Or he said, if it's a promise, that, that is not to be prayed about. He said, it's to be acted on. He said, quit praying about stuff that's, that's in ink and go do it. You know, you know, fulfill your command and quit praying about your command. These are little things, but, but they're little in the sense of if you twist your thinking, you're trying to get heaven involved, and Jesus got really, he really got involved. So there's nothing for him to do. It's just some, this is our side. We pick up and go from here. <laughs>